Hello, I'm Gay, and I'm your host, Geraldo Rivera. You're tuned in to Geraldo's Edge Game, episode 19. You already know what it is. It's your boy. We're doing it. We're doing it big. I'm fucked up right now. I'm real fucked up, dude. Uh, a lot of people assume... Based on a number of factors that at any given moment, uh, I may be fucked up, you know, that I may be on drugs. I may be under the influence of a certain substance. And I would say that these claims, these accusations are unfounded. Okay. Yeah. I have this tapestry. Yes. I always have this tapestry in my room. Yes. I look like I smell like smoke. Okay, yes, I have weed in the house. Does it mean I smoke it? No. Maybe I just like to grow plants. And this is not a bit, okay? This is unironic and we'll get it we'll get to that point later. I want to explain why I have weed and I don't smoke it. You may look at my videos and say Definitely, he does something. He definitely finds inspiration in some sort of drug. Hey, let me tell you. Caffeine's a drug, okay? Now, you could argue that most anything has been at some point influenced by a drug. Caffeine. How else are you... I always saw you productive without your Starbucks. I can't get, I can't get my day started without my Starbucks. Gotta have my coffee. Gotta have it. Mm. <laughs> I gotta fucking have it. You know what? I do do drugs, okay? But that's not the point. You don't know these things. <clears throat> I was a late bloomer. I didn't, you know, I didn't touch drugs until it was I was of legal age. I didn't I didn't smoke weed until I was legal to smoke it at 16. Uh just kidding. I've already told this story, but I've told many of these stories already. I, I don't know if you can tell. I don't hide the drug use. And it's not because it's not hard drugs, supposedly. I do a lot of gateway drugs. I do all the I do gateway drugs exclusively. Okay, and that's why I'm as successful as I am. Okay, because they just open doors. They open doors for opportunity in life. That's why they call them gateway. Alright, you fucking idiot. Um, and you know what? I'm on drugs right now. I'm not going to tell you which one. I'm going to tell you at the end. Maybe. Maybe you'll find out. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning, okay? Because I think a lot of people think you get... 
there's a lot of models of addiction. There's a lot of theories about how people even experiment, how they fall into anything. And I'm not going to give you a, a dare spiel. I'm not giving you the, the spiel about how drugs find their way into your life because of your peers and your peer pressure. Certainly it's a, it's an important factor, but my mom, very anti-drug made it clear that apparently she's never tried anything, which I find very interesting. Not sure I totally believe her, but I have no reason to believe that she has done anything. Um, I don't know. You know, it's a different place. Grew up in the Philippines. I don't know. Maybe it's just harder to find good drugs. Um, <clears throat> you know, after the U.S. occupied and, and probably flooded their market with whatever, you know. Maybe there was a crack epidemic in the Philippines also, you know, due to the U.S. government. Who knows? <clears throat> I'm not I'm not going <clears> to <throat> speculate too much, but according to my mom, never did anything, never had tr trouble with alcohol because turns out she can't tolerate it. Turns out neither can I. Uh, so... I grew up not really, you know, feeling comfortable about drugs. I just knew not to bring it in the house. Uh, but my mom seemed open-minded and open to at least talking about it, having a discussion about it. Um, and sometimes we did. She even offered, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know how far this would have gone if it would have applied to other drugs, but she had, she had offered to buy a cigarettes so that we may... Uh, smoke them together that way I can experience <clears throat> that I could experience it in the comfort of my home with someone that I was comfortable with without the peer pressure uh, she just didn't want my first time to have been in a in a different maybe weirder social situation although I, I would argue that maybe smoking cigs with your mom would be significantly weirder I, I don't know. I never took her up on the offer. I wish I had. I wish I had figured out. I wish I had learned what uh, brand my mom would have bought. <laughs> but no, I and, uh, unfortunately never found out. Um, and as I've touched on before, my mom is mentally ill and has been on various psychiatric meds. I think mostly antidepressants, uh, like po like postpartum depression, but not just postpartum, she just ended up taking them indefinitely. I think she still takes something now. Or at least she says she's taking them and, you know, flushes them down the toilet. I don't know. I don't know. So, we'll get into the psych meds later. But, growing up mostly with my mom, I never had, there wasn't a bad, you know, influence there. And then on my dad's side, essentially the same thing. He clearly never had many issues with drugs personally with himself or alcohol. I think my dad can drink one beer at a time and then he'll like fall asleep. But he surprisingly wasn't as anti-drug, at least in terms of telling me to avoid it <clears throat> or like giving me warnings because his he had two older brothers um, when he was growing up in New York. And they, two of them died. Uh, he had two older brothers that died 
related to drugs. One was an actual drug overdose, and then the other was uh, the other brother was shot in a drug related dispute of sorts. I don't know. I've been watching Top Boy lately. I've been rewatching the Netflix Top Boy. So I'm very, you know, I know, I know that's, uh, you know, in London, which may be very different from the New York scene in like <clears throat> the seventies and eighties, but Hey, I, I get the gist, you know, people get shot and I never grew up in that, you know, I grew up in the whitewash town. <clears throat> sure. There are drugs there, but it's pretty quiet. You know, people are pretty friendly about their drug dealings. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, it was, it was, there was never much exposure. I, I definitely loved watching weed related media. You know, I love the Chappelle show. Uh, <laughs> uh, I liked stoner movies growing up. It, it's weird. Cause I think my dad and I would watch a lot of stoner movies like how high I, I don't know why that always sticks out. And then uh, like, ha like half baked, you know. Um, but like, like, you know, we would watch stoner humor and, and just be like, yeah, like it's funny, but neither of us has clearly like smoked weed. <laughs> so, you know, you start getting curious pretty early. Um, and I think about all the times I probably like smelled weed in retrospect, like as a kid and not known it, it was weed, you know? It's just like, oh, that smells like like a skunk. You know, how many times did you smell a skunk and it was actually someone getting lit? Um, I think about all the, like, the relatives, too, that smell like smoke but a different kind of smoke, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, it makes sense now. Like, they definitely were just fucking high all the time. Um... <clears throat> And my dad is not mentally ill, as far as I know. I mean, he's QAnon, but not that kind of. I don't think there's any <clears throat> treatments you can prescribe for that kind of that kind of illness. So he, as far as I know, uh, drugless. Although that can change very soon as they age <clears throat> and they deteriorate. So i started off pretty clean i you know i wasn't destined to be a degenerate by any means at least falling into any sort of substance abuse and i guess it was just like yeah around like seventh eighth grade in middle school i had this good friend named brendan who was the cool I, he, I thought he was cool he was kind of always a quiet kid he always seemed very angry and you know uh so for some reason he took a liking to me because i just i guess i found him very entertaining I, I found him charming because he was very good at speaking his mind in class and and just being a general um i don't know he was cool and then i was very polite i was always very uh nice in class I, I followed the rules uh because i was still trying to i don't know i don't know what but I, I i always found myself drawn to people who could speak up very early on um because i found i couldn't and brendan was one of those people and so brendan and i used to play xbox a lot and i liked when he would like 
fucking scream the whole time in, in, in like a Call of Duty or a Halo game. Um, you know, gamer slurs, that sort of thing. Uh, that was Brendan. And we would, he would, I would come over to his house. We play like Gears of War and shit. And I always knew Brendan was kind of like, he had some issues. He's, he's the kid with a bunch of holes in the drywall. And later on in life had a bunch of different sort of, uh, medications. And I think early on he, he might've been, <clears throat> he, he was one of those kids. I think they started him on, on stimulants, ADHD meds, because he had what I think is in the, in the latest DSM is considered op oppositional, like defiance disorder, which didn't exist probably as it was, as the current criteria stands, didn't exist in 2007. Um, it was kind of attacked onto a, just a sort of ADHD where they can't control certain other aspects, but there is no ODD as there is now. Um, and that's unfortunate because I, I think about him a lot because uh, he, you know, when you start developing polypharmacy in, in, in the sense that you're taking like two to three to four drugs usually that's reserved for someone who's older. You know, you start using the term polypharmacy for geriatric populations who have a bajillion issues. Um, but when it's with someone who's so young, like Brendan, it's because they're adding on more medications to deal with the side effects of these other medications. Maybe he wasn't ADHD and didn't fucking need stimulants. Maybe the stimulants were just ramping him up so fucking much that he started punching holes in the wall. Okay, so then they had to tack on basically a, an antipsychotic to dull the fuck out of him so he could at least not punch holes in the wall. And then the antipsychotics, you know, they can, they will fuck you up in a lot of different ways um, that I think still aren't fully understood. But typically you don't just give the antipsychotic, you need something else to kind of help balance that out too. Um, I'm sure that leads to, because they can be so dulling, they can be essentially depressants. And so I'm sure they tacked on an antidepressant because, you know, what kid isn't um, in middle school? So Brendan, like, Brendan should have been some like warning or some foreshadowing for me to have like an understanding of, of behavioral health um, treatment before I dealt with it myself, he had it so early on. And I don't know a lot about Brendan's like life leading up to that. It was just, I knew single mom and that was it. <clears throat> so I don't know what led up to that point. Maybe he's just always been an angry kid, but when I knew him, he was already on multiple meds and eventually uh, in eighth grade, we, uh, he introduced me to, to weed. He was the first kid. He was the first person I smoked weed with. Um, and I've told this story about how we smoked the, we did a wake and bake and I didn't feel anything. So I hit it like 20 times and I got the spins and I threw up in his basement. Okay. So I threw up in his basement. Somehow that didn't deter me from smoking weed ever again, even though that was extremely embarrassing and traumatizing and Apparently the basement was condemned and I had this reputation as having been the reason that um, no one hangs out in Brendan's basement because later 
it turns out Brendan became our 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 local plug. He was the plug for everyone basically in our high school. Um, but it started as him just wanting to smoke weed just to cope with his other issues. Um, and me starting to smoke weed was just because I was having fun. It was a fun thing. But Brendan was already using it as a as a coping skill. And I didn't see that. I didn't realize that. I didn't, I, I mean, he didn't talk about it like that. You know, when you start smoking weed and it's cool, it's like, yeah, like I'm just fucking baller, you know? And that was when uh, like Mac Miller, Mac Miller was coming up, like Wiz Khalifa's coming up. You start seeing a lot more weed and mainstream like music. Um, not that it hadn't been in a lot of other scenes, but like, you know, when you start hearing about it more on the radio, it's cool. So it's, it's, a, it's a flex. It was a flex. Um, I think about like Wiz, Wiz Khalifa talks about he was one of the first people to put weed in his music videos, which is like in retrospect is so fucking like corny and cringy. Um, but maybe it was true, but it's just, it's just something to look back on and be like, yeah, okay, man. He, he was the first kid to smoke weed in the school. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, and then me and Brendan, we didn't, you know, it's not that we stopped being like regular friends. It's just that our relationship became more centered around, I guess, drugs. And it became more of just like we hung out when we wanted to smoke, or like whenever we did hang out, it was it we would we would smoke. Um, and eventually, he just became my dealer. You know, it was it was very much less about actually connecting with him, and um, because. There was a little gap, you know, between that incident and let's say maybe the only times I would smoke after that were with my friends, um, the twins, we'll call them the twins, the Corbin twins, because they look like Corbin Blue in High School Musical. Um, and they happen to be the half black friends, half black, half white. And as you know, I, I only hang out with half minorities like myself, <clears throat> the only people I can truly bond with. And um, in a way, that's who I really ended up getting comfortable smoking weed with. That's who I, you know, learned how to roll joints and roll blunts and just learn the general etiquette of, of weed. Um, and I liked it. You know, it's it's really fun when you first start out. And I highly recommend you do it at some point in your life, if you haven't already, just just go through like a short, hopefully a short stoner phase, a short weed phase. You can return to it later in life if you want. But like that, I mean, I would say that's the best time to do it for some reason, even though, you know, your brain doesn't fully develop until you're 25. I, I think you, I think it's fair to still have like a very short weed phase, at least a couple times, high school, maybe in college. Okay. And I'm only saying that because I think that's the time when you can actually sit and enjoy it and not feel like a piece of shit that like you actually like have shit to do in your life. Cause a dude that smokes weed in his thirties, is fucking sad, you know? I mean, yeah, if you're already successful, if you're already, like, if you if you made a career out of weed, 
Wiz Khalifa, then yeah, okay, yeah, you just smoke weed the rest of your life. That's fine. But for anyone who has like shit to do, shit that needs to get done, bills that need paid, if you're smoking weed, dude, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, absolutely. Um, (laughs) Talking to you stoner parents. If you don't have kids, maybe it's fine, you know? I, I, it's a different story if if you're just a lonely dude and you're just you found nothing else fulfilling in your life and now you just fill that gap with drugs. Hey, but if you got kids, if you're a stoner mom or a stoner dad, fuck you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so in in high school, it it was fun. It was fun. You know, you go to the gas station, you get food, you giggle, you try to fuck your girlfriend while you're high without her finding out, and then she finds out and gets mad. Things like that. It's fun. Uh, <sighs> apparently, I was creepy on weed. I always was, you know, obnoxiously horny. Not in like a rapey way, but just in a... Well, who knows? Maybe it was, but... <laughs> Never got caught. That's the lesson. It only started to get dark when I, well, even before that, I was going to say, even before I got kicked out of the house, I was going to say, I started, for whatever reason, I would steal uh, my dad's alcohol. And I know you're thinking probably like, oh, I'd probably stole beers or, you know, some liquor. And no, my dad, my, my stepdad liked to keep uh, Mike's hard lemonade in the garage and they never hid it from me because they never suspected that I would, you know, touch that shit. I was a good kid for the most part. And I started stealing Mike's hard lemonade and I'm sure he noticed. Uh, and I wouldn't like, I just keep the bottles in my room. I just had this drawer full of empty Mike's hard bottles. And I really just liked the flavor. I wasn't really trying to get fucked up. I was just kind of curious. Um, But I was starting to get interested in like other ways of getting fucked up. Weed was like, it, it, it was what it was. And it was hard to come by because I couldn't always, Brendan wasn't in, he wasn't the plug yet at that point. He was just, pretty much buying for himself and sometimes he'd have extra to like smoke you up. That was kind of it. Um, and so yeah, I was looking for other ways. I was interested. I was, I was reading Arrowhead articles about all sorts, like, you know, about weed and about other drugs. I was, I was getting curious. Uh, and I always had been, I think, I think that wasn't like new. I'd always been interested in drugs. Just, I was just fascinated by, by them. Cause I was like, they're out there. You know, when will I try them? When will I come across my path? And um, and I, w- I used to, yeah, steal my dad's liquor. I used to pour it in my, like, tea, and I would go to school. I would, like, have, a, like, a, like, a thermos or something of tea, and I'd put, like, like, whiskey or something or, like, rum, you know, in my tea. Disgusting. Um. That but that was when I was starting to get like using it to like numb myself a little bit. 
Um, and that's when I have having my family issues. Lux, please, not right now. Please don't jump on my lap and cut my balls. Okay, thanks. So <laughs> um yeah, mom kicked me out, moved in with my dad. That's when I started working. I was around that time I started working and I was like excited because now I had money to buy drugs. Now I actually, yeah, that was that was a limiting factor was having disposable income uh, to buy drugs. And unfortunately, it was at a time when, you know, I was using it to cope. You know, it, it weed immediately sh kind of shifted from being just this thing you do and for fun and it became a thing I did as a chore. Um, and unfortunately, when I started buying my own weed too, I started smoking alone a lot more. It, it becomes very easy to just isolate. And when you realize all your friends are broke and don't also have their own weed, you you start to want to just smoke alone because you can you can balance how much you're smoking. Except when you and then when you're with your friends, you got to ball out and you got to roll the whole joint. You got to roll the whole fucking eighth and a blunt because that's what you know, Gucci Mane and Waka Flocka tells you to do. So that's what you try to do. And you're spending your whole paycheck on weed. So I had, I started developing, you know, it's like a really negative association with being high. And pretty much after that, I still do. I still, I, I still feel relatively like negative when I smoke. And a lot of people I've heard anecdotally sometimes also develop that same thing. Like they smoked hella heavy in high school and then when they got to college, it just made them way too paranoid. It just made them way too like on edge. Like it just wasn't the same. It wasn't fun. Um, and I don't know. I never looked into the, like what the the basis of that might be, you know, what the what actually might be happening internally. But, you know, it's just maybe your brain's developing. Maybe you're just more self-aware. You're more conscious of what's going on. And maybe the environment you're smoking in is just completely different. So for me, it was very obvious to me why it shifted. And it's not to say it's not possible to enjoy weed for me. I just have to can't smoke a lot of it. But basically after high school, well, okay. And then the complication <laughs> with that too is that I was taking, that's when I started taking SSRIs, I started taking um, Prozac. That was the first one I took. I started taking Prozac when I was 17. And, you know, they didn't, I, I, w I didn't tell them I was smoking weed. I was like, that's not, I was still worried. I didn't realize the importance of mentioning your drug habits to your psychiatrist, you know, but you're afraid, so you don't. Uh, or you're embarrassed or whatever. You know, it's cool to not tell adults about that you smoke weed. Um, so I didn't. And, you know, that fucks with you. It fucks the way your drugs work. And everyone knows that. I mean, people still drink when they're taking their their medications too. So it's, some would argue that's worse. But something about the weed interactions, it really, yeah, it makes it, it, makes it hard for anything to work. So... Yeah, I was taking antidepressants and then also mood stabilizers later on and still smoking weed with my with the Corbin twins. 
Um, and I, there were points where I was trying to slow down and it, it's, it was hard because that's who I had made my friends with. And they were kind of ramping up. It was, it was at a time when like they were working regularly now so they could buy their own weed. So whenever I went, they had their weed. Whenever I went to hang out with them, I had to move in with them at one point because my dad kicked me out. So I was like, there was a solid two weeks where I was like really feeling almost the worst because I had been kicked out of both my parents' houses. Um, and I was sleeping in the top bunk of my friend's, you know, bet, yeah, bunk beds. <laughs> they still had bunk beds. Um, and then like I spent spending every night like getting ripped and just, you know, me being really conscious of like how that's interacting with my, my meds and making me feel like, am I wasting my fucking life? Am I ever going to get out of this, this cycle? Um, what the fuck am I going to do? So that's when I really, it got really dark and I was like, I need to really stop smoking weed. <laughs> I really do. And I went to the hospital, I think kind of shortly after that. Um, and I remember the nurse, <laughs> that's when they started, I started being honest about the weed use with, you know, my behavioral health practitioners. And I remember the nurse talking to me about, about why I should stop smoking weed. And the one thing she kept emphasizing, or like the one thing she really made a point about telling me was like, Hey, you know, um, <clears throat> weed lowers your sperm count, right? Like you don't want to, you know, you don't want to mess with that. And I'm like, why the fuck do you think like a 17 year old is cares about that right now? Like, a, like a suicidal teenager who smokes weed just to fucking cope. Do you think they're thinking about their future of being able to have children? Do you think that's really a deterrent? Uh, it made me so mad. Uh, but I was just like, yeah, you're right. That's a, that's an excellent point. Yes, I would love to pass on these horrible genes someday so that someone else can suffer and someone else can maybe develop a, a, a drug habit and maybe they can be in the hospital someday too and spend a bajillion dollars to stay in a hospital for two weeks. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking about right now. You're right. I'm going to stop smoking weed now. Thank you. Um, and I think about her and I'm like, that's what I, you know, when I went to be a psych nurse, I was like, I can do this way better. I, I All I have to do is not say that. <laughs> all I have to do is not give bullshit answers, bullshit reasons for you to be, you know, not mentally ill. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I didn't really drink. Drinking never picked up for me. Although every time I did drink, I would throw up. And I didn't realize, I just thought I was a lightweight or that I was just going ham. Maybe everyone just thought like when I drank, I just went way too hard. Because <clears throat> I, I did, I, you know, when you drink, you don't like moderate. I mean, you don't know what's moderation really yet. Um, I, all I had to base it on was there was like Mike's hard lemonade drunk. And then there's like, pass out on the floor, throw up, you know, drunk. I didn't have an in-between. Um, so like senior week, I remember drinking a shit ton. I remember stealing my grandma's liquor, bringing that. And 
Um, yeah, and I just threw up a lot. I remember the one the one of the times that I threw up that I was like, let me not drink for a long time was just because I we had spaghetti dinner that night. And so like when you throw up the spaghetti, you throw up and then there's still a, a long strand of spaghetti in your throat. So it keeps activating your, your gag reflex. So it just kind of goes on and on until you're just completely emptied out, which I think is a practical way to throw up. So it's, it's a really efficient way to throw up. So you're not like waiting in between. You can just get it all out in one go. And that's what happened. So Baba the Boopy. Just a little tip, pro tip. Uh, <laughs> and I remember my friends brought, I had some friends who bought, uh, I guess we didn't have a lot of weed or we just didn't have other things to get fucked up on. And someone brought uh, Trip C's. They brought, they wanted a robo trip. And I watched some of my friends robo trip for the first time and they basically said to not do it and i was like okay i'm not gonna do that <laughs> but they just wanted to feel something else and then uh and then i you know later on i ended up using tripsies to try to like kill myself in combination with other drugs and I don't, I can't identify what exactly was the trip C's exclusively, but I did hallucinate quite a bit. And uh, I'm afraid that if I do trip C's alone, that's exactly what will happen. But trip C's are retarded anyway, just so you know, uh, in case you're interested. Um, Robo tripping is, is retarded. Um, <laughs> but do it once. Do it once is what I'm telling you. Do it. That That's, that's, that's the whole point of me about drugs in general. That's my whole perspective is I would say, try it once if you want. Um, college, I, I stopped smoking weed pretty much. I would still slip. Cause I, the thing is, is I lived my freshman year down the hall from a guy named Andrew who I've described before. He's a tall, lanky, longboard kid who brought a, a bong to the dorm, you know, freshman year. And sound, sounded like a cross of like Ray Romano and, and Kermit the Frog. And he was just always high, you know, just saying the N word all the time, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, and then uh, another kid like on the other side of me was a total frat star named Kevin who got weed, like shipped, like bricks of weed shipped to the dorms. And he would just like come in and be like, yo, check it out. And then throw it on my bed. And he was also selling like, so that's when I got, I started exploring, um, stimulants in college which a lot of people do a lot of people start experimenting with study drugs um and kevin uh, kevin had adderall or no kevin had vivans which is a much more not mild per se but like it's a it's a lot of a smoother stimulant as in like there's not much of a peak as, as compared to like Adderall and it's a lot more evenly keeled, you know, it lasts a little longer. It's not Adderall XR. It's, it's a different kind of mechanism, but nonetheless, it's, uh, I would say probably not as habit forming. And so I would buy Vyvanse from Kevin. And, uh, that was at the, when I was taking my meds kind of more, well, I don't know. I don't know. Once I got to college, I was like, let me stop taking my antidepressants. Let me stop taking, my stimulant or my mood stabilizers. Cause like, I just didn't feel, I, like, I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't trust my emotions. I didn't trust like my thoughts when I was taking 
drugs every day. I, I was really like, it made me more miserable to think of myself being on these things that I wasn't confident I needed. Um, that I was confident were just related, like my problems were related more so to my situation rather than anything internal, you know? I mean, granted, yeah, I was, I was sad because of the circumstances, but I thought it made more, it made me, I would have been at least more, I don't know. I, I think there's some sort of like pride that would help me feel better about myself because it was all in my head. A lot of this was just perspective and the idea that you needed those antidepressants to get you through that time is like, okay, maybe you need to get to that point so you can at least get yourself out of bed and do that sort of thing. But I wasn't bedridden. I wasn't like, I was never, I was never the kind of depressed that was like, I couldn't shower or like I couldn't feed myself. It was never that. It was just like, it was a depression related to just like, why am I here? A existential dread that a teenager has, like the teenage angst. And I try to explain, you try to explain that so many times um, to adults and it like, it doesn't matter because the point is like, they, they have to see suicidal ideation as dysfunctional. They have to see suicidal thoughts as dysfunctional despite you functioning and other aspects of your life. Um, it is possibly to be suicidal and, and have a, a, have a functional social life, you know? Um, I think that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people now. A lot of people think about killing themselves and supposedly according to DSM five, it's dysfunctional, but I think it's really should be viewed more as like, it's more of a, it's like a baseline, okay? And I think a lot of people understand that suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts are more of like a coping skill. It's more of like this thought. It's kind of like, it's escapism. It's this, it's this idea. It's a comfort because you know that there's this option. You know, when things get really bad, it's like, well, I could die. You know, I could kill myself and then this would be done. And like, that's a relief, you know, that you're not stuck here. It's not... Um, you have options, even though supposedly we're sadder when we have options. I haven't figured that out yet. Um, but I just know that I like having the option to kill myself. Anyway, my point is, uh, Kevin sold me stimulants and Kevin is one of those kids who had been on stimulants since he was like, in second grade. So he was tired of taking them because uh, they really, he felt like they dumbed him down, um, which, you know, I don't, I didn't know Kevin that well. I just knew Kevin when he was smoking weed and doing Coke, you know, with this frat. So, but I found Kevin charming. So another, another plus for drug users. Uh, started doing stimulants and then I started doing psychedelics in college it's all good timing, you know? And then, you know, I think I've told those stories to a guy used to sell dropper bottles of what I thought was just acid, but it turns out to be another uh, designer drug similar to it. But uh, either way, I, you know, I can't watch the movie Into the Wild again because I was tripping on whatever this designer drug was watching this movie and it fucking blew my mind. So even though I'm inspired to do something like that, Ted Kaczynski style, just run off <clears throat> to a little cabin. Uh, 
And the, I don't know. I mean, I don't have to go. I don't know how much into psychedelics I need to go into because like it's like now it's pretty common for like everyone to be at least mildly interested or know someone who's doing shrooms, microdosing acid, microdosing shrooms. Um, it's it's kind of like the new weed. It's it's like a lot easier to move psychedelics than it is to because uh, weed is you know it's it's so commonplace now. It's like that's weed. Weed is I mean uh, the shrooms are cool. Shrooms are cool now, and I I would say do shrooms. I w I meant to mention this in the the gay episode in the last episode, but when I told the story about me like doing shrooms and thinking like, huh, am I actually is this how I find out I'm gay? I think it's a good, I think shrooms, if you have any issues with your identity and your sexuality, I think, I think doing, you know, psychedelics is a good way to explore that. Um, I'm not saying I would never have reached that conclusion or fully explored it eventually. You know, I was already, I was confident leading up to that, but it made me much more confident that I was able to really let myself believe that I was like maybe gay for a little bit. <laughs> You know, I think it's, I think it was really helpful and you come back from it and you're like, okay, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not this, I think I'm this now, or you just kind of lose a sense of yourself and you kind of let, you know, you figure it out for the next month after you trip really hard, you put yourself back together. It's really nice. I'm not advocating for everyone because I definitely don't enjoy it. I definitely don't enjoy psychedelics. I definitely don't enjoy the experience of the psychedelics themselves. They always turn into, I mean, I, I guess by design, but like, because I mean, a lot of people just have that ego death. They think they're dying. They think they're, it's, it's, it's like, it gets dark for a lot of people. And for someone who's already dark, you know, shrooms, an acid really sh like, you know, it, it shows how dark you can really get. It shows how dark it can really be, but it's beneficial because when you come out of that, you're obviously very refreshed and you're like, Oh wow. It's maybe not that dark after all, something like that. Okay. You've heard the stories millions of times. I'm not going to go through into, you know, my personal anecdotes because everyone's shroom story is kind of like listening to someone talk about a dream where it's like, yeah, like a cool, like I can totally envision that, you know, no one really is that interested in your dreams, but people love to talk about them. And, uh, Hey, that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> so I got into them. It helped me a lot. And that's, that's a good time to do them is, is in college. It is a good time when you're kind of separated from a lot of other influences, even though you're surrounded by a new network of people. It's like, even if you're not in college, you know, once you're out of high school, it's kind of like, you know, it is a very significant transition period in your life. Not that you're not always transitioning, supposedly, um, sexually or otherwise. Uh, the guy I lived with sophomore year was Andrew, the, you know, the tall lanky dude. He was selling, um, something called, oh God, what was it? 
he was telling people that he was selling Molly. He was telling people he was selling Molly and apparently was actually like 2CB or something or some other designer drug, which supposedly um, is similar to a combination of doing of a traditional psychedelic, but also a mix of, um, of, uh, of Molly. It was, it was less like Molly, more like psychedelics, but somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I didn't know that much about it. And I wish I knew more about it because he, you know, gave me some because he gave me some and, um, and I went to, this was that time I was going to raves. I was going to a lot of, uh, like EDM shows because I was going with him. And then there's also this hot girl named Sean um, who liked going to them too and doing drugs. And I remember the night I had this 2CB or what I thought was Molly. Um, I took it and felt absolutely nothing. And then the other people I was with who took it felt amazing. Um, and I was like, I wish I could at least have some kind of uh you know, just that like surrounding effect where you just, that's some kind of placebo effect just because the people around me were fucked up, but, uh, it was nothing. And I think it was at the time I was taking some SSRI. So that probably had a lot to do with it. Probably limited completely what I could have uh, felt on that or experienced, but it was good though, because that same night, one of them got drugged on top of being on Molly or TCB and then I had to pretty much handle everything else from the rest of that night because uh, she drove um, and to coordinate. But, but um, yeah, that's one thing I haven't touched on. I haven't touched on really um, ecstasy, Molly. Um, I, would, I would do it. I, I just feel like it's a little late. <laughs> I feel like when I was trying to do it would have been the right time to like get into like going to EDM shows and, and trying to grind my teeth down all night. Um, cause you just have more energy in the first place, you know? Uh, but now I don't think I, my body can recover from that pretty easily. I'm only 27 and like, I can do it. It's just like, why, why would I do it now is, is kind of how I feel. Um, but I may just do Molly at home. That sounds like an interesting day. <laughs> Just, I don't know, do some Molly and, and, and record your podcast. So, so yeah. Uh, and that was a time too, when a lot of people were, um, that's when dabs were like getting more common or like they're more easily accessible. And I'm glad I stopped smoking weed before dabs were really like popping because dabs are crazy <laughs> dabs and, and like oils and like shatter all that. Like, it's like, I, I was plenty high like with weed, but I got it. You know, a lot of my friends, the Corbin twins, they smoked every day since, since essentially we started smoking. Maybe like once we got to senior year, they were like at least always trying to smoke every day. If they could, if they could afford it, if they could find it. Um, and I know now they definitely do. I know they're 27 now and they still smoke regularly. Um, and I think, you know, that could have, I could have taken that, that, that could have happened. Um, I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I don't smoke 
I'm glad I don't smoke like that. I'm glad I don't have any habit like that, as far as I know, at least no substance habit. Um, not because it's like bad or a negative judgment of their character. I just know for me, it would be like, I, I couldn't handle that. I don't think I can moderate like that. I couldn't moderate other things in my life. Um, but it was kind of, it was super alienating um, to not have a substance that you can relate to other people with because alcohol was already a big, that's a big, easy one. That's like, that's like baseline. You know what it's like to enjoy alcohol. You go out, you enjoy alcohol with your peers. And that's supposed to be like, you know, that's your gate. That's really your gateway um, to everything else. And a lot of people just stop there. That's like enough. And I don't understand, like, it's maybe because I can't understand alcohol and enjoy alcohol that I've wanted to explore other things as well. Um, maybe if I could, maybe if I liked alcohol, maybe I would have just been an alcoholic. It actually seems like the most ideal um, drug for my personality. It seems ideal. It seems like I would be an alcoholic and I would die from being an alcoholic that seems like it should have been the way to go but um it turns out i think i'm pretty sure i got it from both sides of my family somehow apparently this acetaldehyde dehydrogenase deficiency is common in both southeast asian populations my mom and apparently some niches of 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 europe i forget what specifically but i think my dad actually is in this very specific category uh, of European, I forget what countries, but nonetheless, I think I've got these recessive genes from both my parents related to alcohol processing. And I have this full mutation that I can't process any. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's a blessing. It's a blessing, but damn, I wish, you know, I get fucked up like that. You get over it once you're out of college, pretty much, you know, you, you learn to like not feel like a fucking loser because <laughs> you're not wasting all your money on alcohol. Uh, and then also you see all the people that can't stop drinking or start drinking more once they graduate or, you know, as just as they get older, regardless of college or not. Um, and that's how I like look at my friends now. That's how I kind of look at my friends who like still smoke weed every day, who still like spend a lot of money like just buying booze i don't know i try not to judge because i get it it's like a, it is a coping skill it's still a coping thing and it's not there are a lot of ways to cope there are a lot of ways to get by in life i should understand that i should be more tolerant of it but i still somehow find myself judging so hard um But on the flip side of that, I'm I'm also very much like pro-drug in that I think you should try them. I, I don't think there are ever things you should avoid. Uh, and that's me saying only because I, I seem like I have some degree of self-control. And I don't know if I do. You know, maybe I just haven't found the right drug. When I went to, after I graduated, entered the nursing world, I already felt kind of weird about drugs. 
I already felt weird about the pharmaceutical industry. I was already looking into a lot of big pharma and the implications of big pharma and feeling very negative about, about drugs at that point. Like my senior year, I took a bunch of behavioral psychology courses related to drug use, models of addiction, things like that. I got really, really into it. Um, you know, there were, I already was seeing, um, I had friends whose moms were addicted to painkillers and it was on my mind a lot, like good friends of mine. Um, no one had died. And that's the thing is no one's in my life has died, I think, from drugs. Not that I know of. Certainly they may have been using drugs, but none have been told. None, no one's told me it was because they overdosed on something. Um, except for one. There was actually a kid... And I don't know what the combination was. I don't know what the issue was, but supposedly this kid who I used to see all the time uh, in school, in college, um, named Shane. And he was like super cool. He, I remember he, he used to tell me a lot about acid. He was like definitely like using a lot of psychedelics and like he was a very, he was very enthusiastic about it. He really understood the neurochemistry and he was like he was like a pre-med um like bio major whatever whatever like he wanted to be a doctor um but he was also like fascinated by drugs i'm sure he would have just you know who knows what he would have done actually but he ended up dying our senior year um due to some kind of drug interaction it's like he was taking molly and like something else supposedly and um from my understanding, from what I learned in school is, you know, serotonin syndrome is probably one of the ways you might die from uh, mixing drugs like that, especially if you're taking any sort of other medications on top of that. And that's, it's one of those situations where you like, you don't know them well enough to just, I think it's weird when you kind of immediately ask like what happened, you know, especially if you don't know them that well, it was one of those things where I was like, didn't need to know exactly what happened. Um, and that's something I inferred was, it was like, it was like a drug thing. So, I don't know, maybe he killed himself. You never know. Something I've been thinking about is, um, on a side note, is like when you hear that someone like killed themselves, you, I think a lot of people tend to at least say aloud that it's sad, you know, versus them dying like a, an unexpected accident. But I, I think hear me out. It, it, Sure, it's surely it's sad when someone kills themselves because clearly they were suffering, right? But they had the freedom and they had the choice to end that suffering on their own time, by their own hand. Whereas if someone had died from a tragic, unexpected accident, they're being ripped away from their life that they had no intent of being ripped away from. 
And so to me, if someone kills themselves, I don't really see it as that awful. I mean, surely there are, <sighs> there are some occasions where you could have saved them, but it was a conscious decision for the most part. And uh, I don't feel as sad when someone kills themselves as opposed to them dying in a car crash unless they killed themselves in the car crash. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Not glad anyone died. That's not what I'm saying, but just, I don't know. Just think about it. <laughs> it's something that's been in my head. Um, end of college, yeah, I had an interest in drugs. Our pharmacology professor, who I've talked about before, who's turned out to be an anti-vaxxer, he taught me a lot of what I know about at least modern drugs, about prescribed, you know, controlled, scheduled medications, substances, and their interactions, and why people use them, or why people don't. Um, and that's kind of shaped a lot of like how I view my drug use now. Um, I had my, <clears throat> I had a lot of shroom trips, helped me process a lot of my past trauma. Um, but a lot of times when you do psychedelics, you're like, even like during the trip, a lot of times you're just like, I don't have to do this again for a long time. Or like, maybe I should never do this ever again. And you might say that about the the drug you just took, or you might say that about all drugs, or you might say that about some other drug. Um, and that's really common for me, but also I'm, I've heard the same thing from other people that psychedelics can really curtail your use of drugs. And not saying that's inherently good or bad, just something that can be considered a tool. And that's become more widely known. I mean, that's what a lot of the medical uses of, of psychedelics um, and therapeutic settings is about. <clears throat> so I'm actually happy. I'm really happy to hear that. That's how it's, that's becoming more common and more acceptable socially, culturally medical world, you know, um, it's definitely like a move forward and you can obviously look into all the history of like how drugs have been, I, I'm not a historian by any means. I just have the, the rudimentary understanding of how drugs were poo-pooed. The war on drugs is racist and also it feeds the prison industry, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, MK Ultra and CIA, FBI, all that. You can look into all that. I'm not going to go into any of it because I have no professional understanding or opinion. Um, so... The point is, is I started, I started working as a school nurse and I saw a lot more of how many kids were taking ADHD meds. I started seeing a lot of more kids on antidepressants and how many kids are fucking diabetic and how expensive diabetes is. Uh, it's not as if I didn't know it before. It's just seeing it 
when it's a child, it's very different. When you're working with children who take these various medications, it's extremely different. It's extremely depressing. Um, it makes me extremely mad, actually. Like, I, I love that job. I loved working as a school nurse, but oh my God, the idea that to be a kid and have all these, yeah, you, you get it. You get it. A kid doesn't deserve that. That's been said a million times. No kid has to, should have to deal with the stress of that, which I'm sure the parents may or may not be passing on that sh the stress of managing their kids, you know, behavioral health, physical health issues. Um, but I will say perk of that job was um, a lot of kids leave their pills unaccounted for um, at school. And that's a good way to find uh, and take home extra Adderall. I have a stockpile of Adderall in my house. I have a stockpile of uh, just generic methylphenidate, you know. Um, <clears throat> sometimes kids have fucking benzos at school, you know. They have fucking like like opiates. They have fucking Percocet at school, okay, and that they never take. It's it's just as needed. But a lot of kids, a lot of kids realize that they shouldn't have to be taking a lot of this shit. Um, it's just been prescribed to them because why wouldn't a practitioner just keep feeding you more drugs, you know, to feed the machine? It's a lot easier to just tell, to convince parents their kids need something than it is to convince a parent that, that the parent needs something. You know what I mean? They just want the best for their kids. So they're just gonna, they're just gonna do it. Okay. Cause they would feel like a bad parent if they didn't follow what the doctor says. Okay, that's what happens in a lot of pediatrics in every field, not just behavioral health or, or psychiatry. And so, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of these kids have their meds that they don't want to take. And I totally respect it, except when you don't want to take it, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it home just in case I have a rainy day and I need to get rid of, I need to, you know, get fucked up. I don't do stimulants. I actually keep a bunch here, but I don't touch them because I know if I take them, I'm going to be depressed for like a week afterwards. I just know I'm sensitive to that. Um, it's not worth it for me. Unless I'm going to some big, you know, a rave or something, maybe I would consider it, but I, I don't, I don't, I haven't for a while. So, or if I ever decide to uh, start selling drugs, I, I guess I'll get my nursing job back and that way I have a plug. Um, but that's how I started trying benzos. My first benzo ever was um, from, oh, it was, it, was the end of, it was the end of the year. It was the end of the year or close to it. And the school is supposed to like have, you know, they, they have repositories where someone picks them up and, you sign off and that way they're destroyed properly at some other facility and you know um but this one school i was subbing at i guess they hadn't had like a regular nurse for a while and so there was just like these closets full of like old pills that were from like that were like three years old four years old but i mean technically they expire but 
they pretty much still work. They don't work to their full potential, but like I took these benzos, I was like, oh, I I kind of get it now. I kind of get what what these are about. Um, I kind of get what Zannies are about. I get it, future. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I started taking those, and luckily I don't have any access to more. I think that would have been a. I really like those. I really like those. I worked as a camp nurse as well. That's all. Eh, two different settings. One was the autistic camp, which I'm sure you can imagine is uh, rife with all sorts of medications and other alternative treatments. That was my first intro to. That's when I started looking to CBD because there were a lot of um, there were kids who had seizures that their parents were paying like crazy amounts for CBD oil. I don't know where they were buying their CBD oil, but it was at a time I think there weren't many options. So that shit was expensive. Um, and I used to steal some because I was curious, but obviously CBD is just CBD. It doesn't, doesn't do much for you, but I was curious. Uh, I, I sampled a lot of the kids' drugs Nothing that I hadn't really tried before, just like if they had some cool stimulants I'd never tried, I would I would I would slip one. Um, but I was really, really like I was kind of crazy when I worked at that camp. I feel like I was very neurotic for that reason. <laughs> I was a good nurse nonetheless, but aside from that, aside from that. Uh but a lot of these kids don't want to take them either. They've been taking them their whole lives. There were autistic kids, 22Q deletion kids. There were hemophilia kids. It's not like I stole their blood or their plasma or anything. I just, you know, I would if I could. <laughs> uh, I would just steal their multivitamins. <laughs> their Flintstones gummies. Uh, and then I worked at this all-boys camp for at-risk youth. And um, it was a counselor, a camp counselor. It was a dude who one year at camp had had a stroke. He had a stroke while they were hiking and he had to get helicoptered off the fucking, you know, out of the fucking mountains. Um, and the kid was only like, 18 when he had a stroke and he had some significant brain damage, but was still relatively functional. It was, it was most of his dysfunction was like emotional. He was a little bit, you know, there were just a lot of different ways he was off. Um, very combative. And the unfortunate part was that he's also a very proud, like Trump supporter, which, Hey, I don't, fine but it's uh he you know you give you get, you get a weird impression of, of trump supporters uh when they have severe brain damage and they also have had a stroke so but he was like you know wearing maga hats and i should also mention he is black i don't know if that helps the story at all but black kid who had a stroke and had some mental issues and also was a Trump supporter. Not saying those things are related. Hey, look at me. Do I, do I look like I judge? 
and he had a lot of meds at camp and I had to manage them for him because he couldn't be trusted to manage his own medications. And also because he had some heavy shit. And so it obviously if that got out of hand, if a kid got into that, then it's fucked. So we had to keep his, he had like hardcore painkillers because I guess he still had a lot of neurological pain related to his stroke. So we had like essentially what was Percocet or uh, I guess his was, um, it was like Vicodin, but it was a different brand, like Norco. I think Norco is it. So that's, uh, So the the drug is slipping me. The generic name is is slipping, but uh, it was an opiate nonetheless. And I'd never done opiates up to that point, surprisingly. Um, but that summer I did because I hated that place so much. I hated the culture of the men being men and that the men were influencing the boys to become men and enlist and be Marines someday and America is the best. And it was, you know, I've talked about this plenty of times. This was post-World War II. Never really left that era. Um, camp. Okay? So I hated it so much. And I, I stayed pretty much holed up in between my nurse's station, the nurse's office, and my room. I had my own room at least. Um, but this gentleman, Mr. Maga, Mr. Black Maga would not take, he had a lot of PRNs. So these were just meds he wasn't taking. Um, and he didn't feel like he needed. He was very much like, nah, I'm fine. I can do it because he's a man and men don't take drugs. Men, men don't need it. <clears throat> men don't believe in modern medicine because men don't need, they don't need it. They're strong. It's different when it's alcohol though, because alcohol isn't isn't a drug like that. It's not a crutch. But any other medication, any other drug is is for pussies. Okay? That's the ideology. So this man did not take his drugs he needed to be psychologically fit to be coherent enough to be responsible for children. Um, and he also didn't take his, his painkillers and he had a lot of them. He had a lot of them. I don't know why he brought so many to camp, but they were all in my hands. So easiest, you know, no one was checking. No one moderates the camp nurse. The camp nurse gets to moderate everything themselves and a lot of times, um, you know, unless the parent requests, like it's not standard for us to do counts of the medications, like how many pills are in a bottle when they come up, unless it's clear to me that they have packed just enough for a camp, which is the smart thing to do. And I'll say if you're a parent or ever are a parent or ever want to be, just keep in mind when you send your kid to a camp, just send enough for camp, maybe a little extra. Don't just send them the whole fucking supply like a fucking idiot because uh, you don't know. I mean, unless it's a boring drug, but either way, don't trust your fucking nurse to, uh, to really keep track properly. Uh, 
Yeah. So I did opiates. I did opiates at camp and I didn't like them. Unfortunately, I was, I actually had a lot of hope for opiates. I was like, this is, I want my life to take this really dark route, this dark path. I'm going to work my way up to fentanyl and beyond. And I didn't, I hated it. I hated it. I just hated it. I was, I was itchy. I was, I felt retarded, but not in a good, not in a fun way, you know? I didn't like it. So unfortunately, that's not how I'm going to go out. But I still have this idea, you know, later in life, I'll I'll do something more heavy. I'll do like straight up heroin, but like on my deathbed, you know, or like when I'm like ready to die, you know, in my 30s, uh, I'll just do all the drugs that I told myself I would avoid out of fear of ruining my life prematurely. I'm just going to save them for when I'm ready to die. I'm going to do coke when I'm ready to die. I'm going to do meth when I'm ready to die. Just real meth, not 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 methylphenidate. I'm going to do real meth. Uh, heroin, I'll do fentanyl. And a lot of old people do that. They just don't, you know, they're prescribed it. A lot of old people, they, you know, they get the morphine on their deathbed. So why not do all the drugs? They do say psychedelics are good for end of life care as well. So I'm glad that's recognized. So by the time I'm ready to die, all these things are going to be mainstreamed. All these things are going to be uh, hopefully reimbursable from insurance companies because we will still be working under insurance companies for medical care and beyond. We will still be under that system. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything I wanted to really touch on? I don't know. Implications. So that's pretty much it. Now I don't do any drugs. I smoke weed once every like two months to remind myself how, why I don't smoke weed. And also that I'd be like, oh yeah, like, I'd hate this. Um, but it's kind of refreshing. It's one of those things that I don't enjoy that I just kind of feel like I don't have to do it, but I enjoy doing it because it it gets me out of a funk almost. If I just put myself super down for like a day, for a night, I wake up feeling super refreshed. And that's what weed does for me, but only every ever so often and not every time. Sometimes it just fucks me up. Uh I forgot the one time I, I mentioned this one time that I was so into psychedelics, but could not find any. Um, my plug was not selling acid at the time or I didn't have money for it. I don't know. But apparently there's, um, there are these seeds um, that you can buy that have a precursor to LSD called, I think LSA. Um, but can uh, exhibit, or produce some of the some similar psychedelic effects, but there's like a lot more of a body. I forget the term, but it has a lot more side effects. Let's just say. And I remember I ordered these seeds from like a, you know, it's easy to order, and apparently there's ways to like extract some of the more. You're supposed to do like some kind of water 
cold water extraction so that you're not getting a lot of the nasty parts. And I just didn't bother. I just threw that shit in a blender and mixed it with like Sunny D. And I had like the worst trip in my life watching. And I remember just throwing up like red because it was like Sunny D mixed with like berries or something. I put like strawberries in it. So my shit was like red, pink. I looked like I was throwing up blood. Um, and I was just sitting like throwing up in a bucket in a, in a trash can trying to watch Freaks and Geeks the whole time. And it like, it made me fart like uncontrollably, like the worst farts I've ever had. It was weird. It was super weird. Um, but it's one of those things you do when you're trying to get fucked up, when you're starting to get interested in getting fucked up. That and like the, the, what is it? The, uh, my the I had this group of friends who was like adjacent to my girlfriend's friend group. A lot of the guys they would do these things like uh, you cut the ping pong ball in half and you like tape them over your eyes, each half over your eyes, and then you just play like radio static, and then you shine a light like over your face. So you're like kind of like seeing nothing. It's just white bright light, and you're just hearing static, and supposedly you start hallucinating various things because you're starving yourself of any sort of other stimulation. So your mind fills in the blanks. Uh, and they used to do that pretty frequently. I never tried it. I don't know why I didn't try it, but um, it's one of those things you do for kids who uh, definitely are going to do lots of drugs later in life. Never huffed anything. Unfortunately, never huffed, never did any, never sniffed markers. I have done whippets. But not, not like pop. I haven't done the straight up poppers. Uh, all I did was hit the whipped cream can twice in my life, and it was interesting. Uh, antidepressants for COVID. Something about antidepressants being effective for COVID. I didn't. I don't really feel like talking about it anymore. But I just know that was a. Uh, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting article to read is that they're studying that antidepressants make you less susceptible to COVID. I don't know if that's just SSRI marketing, but hey, who can say? Uh, the one thing, oh, you see a lot of, I mean... I don't know how many men listen to this compared to women. I, I feel like more women listen to the podcast and more men watch everything else. But in terms of uh, something that's always stuck out to me, even like when I was in high school is when people told me, my psychiatrist would tell me that SSRIs are also used to help treat premature ejaculation. And, um, you see a lot of, there are a lot of sites now, there are a lot of companies that offer services that are directed towards men, like things like hymns or whatever, where it's like they have a plethora, they have a bunch of different services that are for like balding, premature ejaculation, and erectile dysfunction. Um, and it's a weird reflection of like, The thing is with that company specifically is that they use that that like millennial um, flat look, that flat design. 
that's supposed to appeal to a, a younger crowd. It's supposed to be, an, it's pretty accessible to 20 year olds, 30 year olds and younger. Um, and it's weird that that's the target demographic now that, that there are so many men that are suffering from erectile dysfunction. And I've drawn attention to that many times already that you should stop watching porn, that you, you should stop jerking off so much and stop using, uh, generic Viagra to solve your problem. And you shouldn't, I, I truly, the Viagra is one thing because you know, that's, that's purely a physical drug. It, it may have some kind of, it, it's like on paper, what it's supposed to be happening. The, the actual mechanism of action is, is physical. It's, it's, it's a vaso dilator, but also a vasoconstrictor and depending on where in the body you're looking at. Um, and in the case of erectile dysfunction, it's helping the vasodilate your PP. Okay. Keep the blood in, but it, it vasoconstricts in other places that don't let the blood leave your PP. Pretty cool. But my point being is the cure for that issue is of the same nature as the issue. Whereas SSRIs for premature ejaculation, which I can't even say is that shouldn't be. I know it's a sexual issue and you can argue that sexual issues aren't that big of a deal, but the dude can come. Premature ejaculation sounds like, Hey, the dude gets hard. The dude comes. I premature ejaculate. Okay. I don't know what's considered premature anymore. I don't know what the timing is, but there are times where I come sooner than I want to. Do you think, and you know, I used to care a lot more when I was in my twenties and, and when you're in your twenties, when you're when your early twenties or your late teens, I think you're supposed to come fast. I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with coming fast. Uh, it, yeah, sure. It, it might affect you sexually in your dating life. It may be an issue, but I don't think it should be a point of, uh, of treatment. I don't think it's something that needs to be treated with something like an SSRI. If it could be treated with something similar to Viagra, I know they have treatments where it desensitizes your penis. That's interesting, but also like at least that's a more physical treatment for the, what may be an emotional thing. You know, obviously there's so many reasons you have ED it can be mostly psychological or not ED. I'm sorry. Um, for premature ejaculation, but at least you're getting hard. You're still functioning sexually. You just come quick. You're just enjoying it a lot. Um, the problem isn't you. The problem is your partner. Really? It's a, it's a problem that is in relation to your partner, your sexual partner, not you, but yet you take on the brunt of, taking an SSRI, which can fuck you up in so many other ways just to give you an extra 20 minutes or perhaps even make it impossible for you to come. So the idea that you can go on hymns or any of these other subscription sites that apparently ship you directly 
your pills that are giving you an off-label use for SSRIs. It blows my fucking mind. SSRIs are fucked. You know, unless you're depressed and you also happen to have premature ejaculation, okay, I think that's fine. But you're taking a drug that's really, that's fucking up your serotonin just so that you can come after five to 10 minutes. I don't know. It, it's really disturbing to me. With that said, I did explore uh, ED meds. I did follow one of the ads that was targeted towards me as a 20-something as a for uh, erectile dysfunction because I just wanted to, I wanted to perform. I wanted to have a big old hog. And I think that's very natural. Uh, it's very natural for someone my age to have issues getting hard because they desensitize themselves with uh, fucking VR porn. VR porn plus weed plus fucking auto masturbators that are overstimulating in every possible way. And then you go to some boring real life vagina who can give you a, a very mediocre blowjob hand job. And you say, why should I get hard for this? You go to a normal woman and you say, why should I get hard for this situation? Why does she deserve my hard cock? My hardest cock. Only my technology deserves my hardest boners. Okay. And I fell into that too. Early pandemic. I was like, why do I need pussy? Who needs pussy anymore? And so I bought some ED stuff. I bought some generic Viagra. It was very cheap which I thought was very interesting. It's very accessible. It's very, very cheap, even to get it shipped to your door. And you just answer minimal questions. This is an ad for Blue Chew. This is an ad for uh, Roe, R-O Health. I don't know what it is. Roman, Roman Health. Uh, yeah, and then I started doing porn after that after I had already looked into this. So I knew what it was about and I've tried it and I was like, I kind of like this. And then I started camming. I started camming, which is a live performance where you need to be sexually appealing for throughout, you know, many hours or at least be able to get your cock hard on command, which is a lot of pressure. And in order to maintain that erection or at least have it ready to go, I started using it regularly. I started using, uh, I have it right here. I have, I keep it right here in my dresser. I keep, they send you a bunch of these little things. I guess you're supposed to be able to, uh, Put these in your pocket when you go on a date, you know, in case you need to go to the bathroom real quick and pop some sildenafil 
Um, but yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is it. I've I've succumbed to it, but I I see it as a business expense. I see it as a part of the job, and I, I understand a lot of sex work, at least in terms of professional production pornography. Is a lot of them do take meds or they inject their own dicks with various chemicals. I don't know what directly. So I really bought into it. <laughs> and this is my most recent drug thing that I'm not sure I will, you know, I'm very conscious of how I'm using it, but I'm also not using it in the context of me in a relationship with any women. I haven't been having sex regularly. I'm not seeing anyone regularly, but I've heard things where people are like, once they start using Viagra, Sedanafil, whatever, with a the partner, they start getting very like dependent on it because they want to make sure they, you know, they they develop a lot of performance anxiety. Um, and I think I'm susceptible to that with a combination of getting dick hard, but also premature ejaculation. It's like you you want a lot of reassurance. Um, not willing to take the SSRIs though. But I have, I always do think about my fucking old doctor who was like, so how's your sex life? You know, is your girlfriend liking the, it's when I was taking Lexapro. He's like, is your girlfriend liking the, <laughs> that you're lasting longer in bed? I was like, I don't think I am. I'm pretty sure I was still coming just as fast. As fast as a, like a 17 year old should, you know? Um, But yeah, we'll see where my addiction goes. My true addiction. I'm addicted to Viagra. <laughs> um, I don't know. My point is, uh, try all the drugs you want. Never feel pressured. But don't poo-poo anything. You know, don't let other people's experiences overshadow what you might have. I think it is very possible to use drugs responsibly, no matter what it is. Um, it's all about context and all about the reason why you're doing them and who you're doing them with. If you're doing them for yourself or to deal with something you're avoiding, or if you just want to experience the drug itself, it's all important about having the right mindset. Um, if this isn't an argument for like, you know, gun zone people, kill people, people kill people, or, you know, drugs don't kill people. People kill themselves. Who knows? But I will say that, uh, let's decriminalize most drugs or let's, let's say this, let's not have death squads in the Philippines killing people who are suspected of using or dealing drugs. I, I think that's like, you know, obviously we don't experience that here in the States, but instead we just incarcerate you and, and turn you into a slave for large corporations. I don't know what's worse. I think maybe I would prefer the death squad. <laughs> uh, just kidding. 
what industry do you want to be a slave to? It's up to you. It's up to you. Um, that's why I grow my own weed. That's why I started growing my own weed. Uh, which is true. I started growing my own weed beginning before the, right before the pandemic actually. So it was a good hobby that transitioned right into the pandemic was just managing my weed. Um, and now I have all this weed that I don't smoke because I, I most, I bought the seeds that were supposedly a, a very low THC strain, very high CBD. Um, and it turns out it's the opposite. It gets me too fucked up. And so I have this one jar here that I've been working on for like a year. It's disgusting. It's dry. It's, it's, but it still gets you high. So I'm like, I can't justify buying weed. I'm not here to like, I'm not here for the aesthetic, uh, sticky, icky, like blunts. I just smoke a bowl and, you know, watch YouTube videos like you're supposed to do. Um, I have no one to impress with my weed. But originally I'd grown it for my, my stoner friends who were on tour. They're like touring musicians and they were going to be in San Diego. So I was like, this will be a cool parting gift is to give them like, you know, like five jars of weed <laughs> for the rest of their trip. Um, but they didn't come because of the pandemic. And so I've been stuck with this weed. Um, and there's nowhere to donate weed. Unfortunately, you can't donate it to the homeless. Well, you can, I guess. You can just give it to them directly. But I would feel bad about... I would only want the weed to go to people who uh, really need it. <laughs> I have a feeling I'd pick the wrong homeless person to give my weed to, you know? <sighs> but if you want some shitty weed, let me know. Hit me up. I got swag. Um, I don't know. Do I have any other thoughts? Comment your favorite drug. Like, subscribe. Share with your friends. Thanks for listening. As always, I hate you. You're a waste of time. You're a waste of space. But thanks for watching. I love you because of it. Uh, you're a degenerate just like me. Smoke one, blaze up. You know, I hope you smoke weed and jerk off all day. I hope you're fucking up your reward pathways in all sorts of ways that you don't realize and will never really fully understand until it's too late. I hope that works out. Take it from me.
God. Oh my God. I took too many antidepressants today. Fuck. Oh, I railed so much Lexapro this morning. Now I can't come. Fuck. God uh, fuck <laughs> oh my god the fuck I'm taking Semenax. <laughs> I'm under the influence of 100 milligrams of Semenax to maximize my loads. Because what's more important than having huge cum shots? Am I right, ladies? Gentlemen? Everyone in between. Thanks for listening. This was a long episode. I might as well just call it the two-hour Coomcast. Let's see. Maybe we'll ramp it up. Two hours is x max. Anyway, fuck you. I love you. Bye. Mwah.